We are weeks away from the close of 2020, folks. Who are you in this moment? What have you learned? What has 2020 revealed about your community and your beliefs and your way of being that's somehow changed who you are and who you'll be from now on? Hello, hello, folks. It's Shara Carruthers here, and you are listening to the Live Like You Love Yourself podcast. You know, something I'm noticing about this year that definitely makes it different from the years before is that I'm doing that whole taking stock thing a little early. You know, that thing we typically do a few days before the end of the year, or for some folks, a week or two into the new year, where we feel into the residue of the year that's passed to see what has stuck. Well, 2020, it's changed me in ways that I know I'm not even feeling yet. And I probably need at least a couple of podcast intros to talk about it. So instead, I'll tell you that this was definitely the year that social justice became something of a guiding light in my life. And perhaps some of you might think that people of color have always been in the fight. But I can tell you that there are many of us who have only just begun to wake up to the things that we've experienced all our lives. It's been both jarring and beautifully enlightening. It's opened a window into my soul and into the soul of the country I grew up in. And and it's created a connection to so many amazing folks out there who've been living the work of social justice for a long time. And Maria and I, we've used this as an opportunity to shine a light on how these issues are playing out and through the yoga practice of some beautiful teachers And our conversation this time is with a couple of those teachers. So a while back, we interviewed Maria's college friend, Christine Calvary Weber of Subtle Yoga. You might remember that. It's still one of the most popular episodes. And so definitely go back and check that one out. And Christine, she's recently joined forces with a former student of hers and a longtime yoga teacher, Keisha Battles. Now, I had heard uh, about Keisha's work, and I had been meaning to reach out to Keisha. And when I heard that Christine and Keisha were working on a project that ties yoga philosophy to social justice through the Yoga Sutras, well, I knew that now was the time to get them in and to have a conversation about it. I also knew that both Keisha and Christine would have some deep and accessible wisdom to share on that project. And of course, they did. And so this conversation was what I might call a very enlightening love fest. In the end, I'm so happy that we reached out to these two wonderful women because I'm so inspired by the work that they're sharing in the world. I feel like their courage and their dedication to the very yogic idea of liberation in all its many forms and faces, it makes me proud to call myself a yogi. And actually, we recorded this episode on the day after the election in the U.S. And so it was a really interesting time to be together, as you're going to hear. It was a conversation that none of us were entirely sure we'd be up to having. But the result well exceeded my hopes and my expectations. And so I'll just let you enjoy this conversation that Maria and I had with Keisha Battles and Christine Calvary Weber. Well, this is an exciting day, isn't it? Yes. Oh my God. I know, exactly. (laughs) 
I can, t I have to say, to say, I, I am so happy that we scheduled this for today. Now, I do not know how in our bodies we're going to be able to be, but I can tell you, this is the best distraction ever. I couldn't sleep all night last night. Um, I took an extra shot of hemp oil last night. <laughs> Knock me out, please. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, dear. Anyway, I don't know what's wrong with Americans. I'm sorry. I'm just I like, don't either. I don't understand. I, I don't, don't understand. I don't understand how people can be so divided because there are obviously people on the other side who are equally in terror yeah. of what's going to happen. Exactly. And so it's like, and they're probably, if you met them at a barbecue, quite nice people. Mm -hmm. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> they might be gun toting like, uh, but um, still. Anyway. Well, that's the that's the stereotype, and there's plenty of that. But yeah. I also think there's there are you know just when I I have a lot of relatives who are Republicans, and when you talk to them, they're just like, well, he's good for the economy, and that, you know that's what they think about, and mm -hmm. yeah. I, it's a it's a very um, it's strange, you know it it feels really strange, it feels really. Um, unusual and and then i think about yoga philosophy and how polarization is like that's the mahabharata polarize 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 you know mm -hmm. until you can synthesize from the polarization so maybe that will happen mm -hmm. <laughs> i don't know uh, yeah. well sort of the the breakdown of capitalism i mean it's kind of that that teeter point of like hang on a second is this capitalist model working in its form in the yeah. United States. I mean, we're capitalists over here, but we've got a nice social democracy happening. Yeah. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. anyway, anyway. <laughs> well, I guess the first thing to say is welcome. Yeah. Welcome to you both. We really appreciate you giving us your time today. We're really excited about having you both here to talk with us about hearing about you and about hearing about this project that you've put together. And I we started it already, but we almost always start off these conversations just by asking how you're doing. So we may as well go around. And Keisha, I would love to hear how you're doing right now. <laughs> um, hi, thank you guys for having me on. Um, how I'm feeling right now. Um, the reverse, the reverse is why did we book this today? <laughs> That's how I'm feeling. Why oh, really? did we book this today? Oh. Um, but actually more from the standpoint of, um, in addition to COVID, in addition to racism and the deaths of um, so many, I've been in family turmoil this oh. whole time as well. And kind of like with voting, like things that you would think are very, common and clear like your family and love you're having arguments and struggles over like dogs <laughs> like mm. so um I'm actually just returning from Greensboro where my mother lives she's 72 years old and um my sister's there as well so I had some family time with them today mm -hmm. um so I'm I'm present I am present and I'm looking forward to the conversation because I know it's going to shift me. So I was in Greensboro in that element and now I'm home, which is more of my peaceful, calm, zen type of element. So yoga normally steers me back in place, um, but family is always the space that reminds me that I've been pulled out of my yoga. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, that's like always the bigger challenge. It's like, forget who's winning the election. It's like, who's winning between the, the Richards and the Dowdies? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's nice yeah, to hear. Every, everybody's family does that. I think that's, um, it's our, it's, they're our true teachers, aren't they? Yes. <laughs> you think you're doing so well. And then, and then you talk to your mother and you're like, ah. <laughs> Goes out the window. Oh, and Christine, you are on the verge of a transition of sorts. So how are you doing since, since the last time we spoke to you? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm, you know, it's the day after election day. So I'm feeling like my nerves are pretty raw right mm. now. Um, but, uh, but otherwise I'm doing great. And we're really excited about taking a sabbatical people have mm. <laughs> I use that word sabbatical because I, I teach you know <laughs> so I'm like taking a sabbatical from my three training programs I have going on right now um for a year and we're hoping to write and um so someone someone wrote me and said oh is your husband working at Canterbury University and I was like no it's not that kind of sabbatical <laughs> he's just gonna keep um seeing clients he sees clients on zoom so he'll just keep doing that yeah. but um yeah yeah things are good i just um i feel nervous and concerned and worried about um my friends and family that are mm. going to be here you know um, yeah it's a concern for sure yeah, yeah. sure mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was walking this morning and feeling into all the feels that are happening in my body that have been happening um, and have kind of in, kind of intensified. And then, you know, they've kind of waned a little for a minute and then they've intensified this morning. And thinking about how my yoga can serve me in this in this moment and, you know, and how our yoga can serve us in this moment. Um, because ever, you know, for the, for the entire year this year and everything that's happened with COVID and all the rest of it, all the other challenges and opportunities maybe that have come our way, I have had that question about, you know, yoga and how it's, and how it's serving us. Um, and I, I, one of the things I guess we really wanted to talk with y'all with y'all about was this uh, this project that you've put together, and I you know we can dive in there and then we can see where it goes from there. But the the question that sticks in my mind at the moment is what for for both of you what was the impetus? Where did this what did it come from in terms of maybe the feeling within either of you or both of you? We'll let Christine lead with this one. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, so um, I was hanging out after dinner with my husband mm -hmm. and he said, and it was, you know, all of the protests were happening mm -hmm. and he said, you know, it's the yamas and yamas that really could help people to overcome racism and to become anti-racist. And I was like, you're right. He always has these ideas like that. And he said, you should do a course on that. And I said, not by myself <laughs> i said that's not it's not appropriate because i've never experienced racism as a white woman 
And, um, oh, well, I mean, I have lived in other cultures where, and, and I don't feel like it was racism, although I guess you could say, but there certainly was a fear of the other or a fear of foreigners that I've encountered in living in other cultures for sure, but it's not the same thing. And, um, you know, I was, I'd been keeping up with Keisha's work. Keisha graduated from my training program, um, I don't know, 11 years ago, I think it was, right, Keisha? I think it was 11. Just about, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a long time ago. And I've been watching her work, and I was so inspired by what she'd been doing and the uh, community support she'd been providing uh, via her yoga in uh, Charlotte. And I was like, I got to reach out to Keisha and see if she's interested in doing this with me. And that's how it started. And so then we started talking a lot. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of talking, <laughs> a lot of talking. Um, yeah. So Christine reached out to me and I guess these 10, 11 years um, since I've completed Christine's training program really put me in the space of connecting with a plethora of black yogis, primarily through the Black Yoga Teacher Alliance. And I've told this story um, several times for those that might be hearing my voice again. But I entered into this training program with Christine and there were 13 women and I was two of the 13 people of color. And I think midstream in through the training, someone asked a question of why black people didn't practice yoga. And then that's when I had the moment of, wait, we don't. <laughs> and it took me along a research paper that was a requirement for the training that opened my eyes up to a vast array of master teachers that have been doing this for years. And then it became kind of a charge of mine to meet them, to find them. And um, right after graduating, my husband gifted me and my mother a trip to Kripalu, where I met my current teacher, uh, my guru, Maya Breuer, who's the um, founder of the Women of Color Retreat, as well as one of the founders of the Black Yoga Teacher Alliance Conference. And she just instilled kind of more of this richness and understanding of being a woman of color. Um, her teaching, her yoga really infuses a lot of history, poetry, jazz, understanding our um, sheroes and heroes. So that put me kind of in the mindset. And a lot of the people following me, of course, um, BIPOC would start mm -hmm. to follow me because I was, you know, showing them these variety of other instructors. And it wasn't intentional, I guess, to be prepared for the program that Christine wanted to put together. It was just kind of a natural blending of things at the time. So it was an immediate, ooh, do I want to get messy with that? <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? Um, and as you um, said about, you know, our yoga practice and how that helps us during these times, for me, um, my practice is the Kriya Yoga practice, which falls under two of the Niyamas. Tapasvaryaya and Ishvara Pranidhana, which is to do my work, study my work, and then eventually trust the work. So that's really been the journey I've been on with this course. Um, we've been putting in a whole lot of effort pre and post creating the course, and then constantly doing more reflection. Um, when we first put the course out, we had an idea of a Facebook group, but we kind of held back from that. And then we got feedback from folks that they wanted more community. So we added a Facebook group or even the podcast that we've had the privilege to be on starting more conversation that continues to stir the energy. But for me, it's been do the work, reflect on it, take the input and then kind of trust. And one more add there, um, Christine, that's for me with the election, right? I did my work. 
I really actually with COVID had the time to sit down and I went to every candidate's website, everyone, where normally it would just be check this across the board because that's kind of what we do, right? But I took the time to do my due diligence my family also took the time to decide, are we mailing in? Are we dropping it off? Are we going on the line? And I have an 18-year-old, so his first time voting. Um, so it was really good to see his, his opinions on you know, who he was voting for and how he would vote. Um, but we did our work. We then kind of did some evaluation. And now we have to trust, right? Now we have to trust the outcome. Um, so yeah, the yoga practice really does come in handy. Um, as it has for this course. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love the way you put that. I just, that just operationalized it, the, the Kriya Yoga so nicely. And it's like, and, and grounded in what's happening right now. Thank you. Yeah, and, and so what, what was your process for putting this course together? And so you say the basis of it is the yamas and the niyamas, which makes perfect sense to me. And one of the things that I'm, um, I don't know that, that I've been thinking a little a lot about and studying of late, maybe in the last year or so, is kind of all the different takes and the different ways of looking at the Yoga Sutras and the information within the Yoga Sutras and different kinds of interpretations of even of things that seem so um, I don't want to say mundane, but kind of universally understood as the yamas and niyamas. And so I kind of wonder for for y'all, and given that you've put this together at a specific time, perhaps even with a specific focus and coming from a specific place, each of you in your lives, what for you was the process of saying, right, okay, this is, this is how we're gonna define each of these things for people. Uh oh, you're, okay, cool. Um yeah, no, I'm sorry. I put it on mute so I no, can take out any, you know, extra background. Um, good. I think the plan, the quote unquote plan was we were going to do these short three minute video clips and be done in a month. That was the plan. The reality became um, video clips that were lasting 30, 45 minutes because we got comfortable. Um, those that participate in the course, they'll probably even see the first few were kind of in the box, right? We're kind of in the box and then it starts to get deeper and richer. And it's because we did this over a three month period, right? It wasn't like we just stopped and dropped and tried to record a bunch of stuff. We really had time to reflect. And as we're going through the course, our country's continuously having its issues and struggles. So it's always something for us to kind of think about and reflect upon. So I know from my standpoint, it typically is just a be truthful, straightful with the information, um, not really even lining out notes. I don't think you even had notes really for the video conversations. The only thing that was um, planned out were the practices that we did, the meditations and the journaling that we provided but the conversation was similar to this. And Christine even said, she's like, I think this is a podcast. Right. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay, podcast. I don't know what that is, but thanks to Christine, I've been pulled into this world and have a better understanding of this medium. Mm -hmm. Well, it was, it was um, the, the one thing we did plan was let's interview each other on, the, mm -hmm. on like the meaning of the yamas and yamas, not just sort of, etherically or ethereally but in a way that was really grounded like because i think the way that the yamas and yamas come alive is when you apply them to particular 
important situations and racism is certainly a very important problem that needs that needs to be addressed that's been overlooked for so long that um often gets kind of swept under the rug and nobody wants to talk about it and and so Keisha and I wanted to sit down and just ask each other questions about our own lived experience and then the application of the yamas and the yamas in that in those lived experiences and you know, so some of the conversation, Keisha said we got comfortable, but it was uncomfortable sometimes too, mm. you know, because <laughs> it was like talking about stuff that has happened in our lives and, and you know, and having to navigate that and then looking at the framework of the Yamas and Yamas as a way to help navigate and a way to help open up, at least for me, I felt like it was a way to help open my mind more to blind spots that I didn't realize we're there you mm -hmm. know um and and i think that was that was really powerful and then the conversation itself was also really powerful and really opened me up to more blind spots as well keisha did you find you had blind spots as well i think i had one blind spot um it's been a while since we did the recordings and i feel it might have been around the Niyamas, Brahmacharya. Um, Christine brought up um, information or factual information about the impression that African-Americans can tolerate more pain. And it was kind of like a, hold up. No, you didn't say that, sister. That ain't true. It was like one of those type of moments. Yeah. Um, and I actually had a student of mine who um, ordered the course triggered her, triggered her. She was heated, hot. She messaged me, she messaged Christine. She was heated, hot because of the conversation and the topic. Mm -hmm. And just as I've been in my own studies um, through this entire time, um, I actually wound up coming across the data that Christine was referring to. And it was like, wow, that's been out there for all this time. And people actually think that way about us. So that was a, a complete blind spot to me, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's Resma Menachem brings that up a lot as a as a as a perception part of part of white white supremacy and part of that systemic racism is that perception. Uh, yeah, and it's know, yeah, he talks about it all the time. Thank you, Maria. That's actually where I heard it last week. Yeah. I participated in um, Sean Corn and Nikki Myers' Race in America, mm -hmm. and it was a six day, and they participated in that. So thank you. That's actually where it came up. Mm -hmm. And to see it, I guess, more slide presentation, like a fact data, that was like, oh, she was correct of where she came from with that information. But that was a, ooh, hold up. I even remember turning and looking to the side to process it and process my response. And I think that was one of the one few times where I was like, Ugh. yeah. yeah, Right, and, and I don't know exactly how that came across because what I was saying was that there's research and there's data showing that medical people often approach black people, people of color with the idea that they can withstand more pain and don't need the pain to be properly managed. And that's what I was trying to say is there's this, this, um, st you know, stereotype. And, um, so yeah, so that got misconstrued as me saying, <laughs> me reinforcing the stereotype, which I wasn't doing. No. So that's where it, yeah, I maybe needed to be clearer that I was citing research, um, that showed the perception of medical, 
personnel. But that just even learning about something like that, really, it's really makes my skin crawl. Mm, you know, that that's a reality. It's it's so um, uh, it sort of defies any rationality. You know, and then, and it also harkens back that white women have experienced the stigma and the stereotype of hysteria, and you know, and and so there is that intersectionality. Um, that I think is relevant and um, you know something Maria and I were when we were in grad school together I was really diving into feminism as well as uh, issues of race and these are things that have been you know academically examined for decades and yet you know we still do not necessarily see it playing out, um, the, the, the reality playing out. And so for me, it comes down to this idea of what is a human being and why do human beings have such a hard time recognizing humanity in people who don't look like them? Mm. And, and I think that question is one that's a very important question for folks to continue to ask. You know, because we all, well, I don't want to say, I'm just going to speak for myself, but like, I certainly have intrinsic, um, you know, unconscious racist biases that were instilled in me from God knows where as a child. And digging that stuff up and looking at it is painful. And yet, if we don't do it, then we're just are perpetuating the problem, I think. Do you feel like these conversations uh, or your course is um, a platform for that? Was that one of your, you know, was that one of the things that you were hoping would happen through it? People examining yeah, I mean, that, I mean. Yeah, I think that was exactly it. It was like, here's a bunch of questions. Ask yourself, mm -hmm. you know. It's not enough to have a friend who's black. <laughs> it's not it's not enough it, you gotta look deep at this stuff and i think that the yamas and yamas give us a framework for doing that yeah i was gonna add on that it's um definitely looking at it but looking at it from a different lens like christine said in that one conversation she was coming from academics and research right and then i tend to come for more experience this is what i've actually experienced or i know this person's experience so what we were hoping to do is to share the yogic lens, right? And specifically the Patanjali follower of yogic lens, knowing that we're all coming from different perspectives. So it was, let's examine it from this lens, right? This is what we are, won't say experts, this is what we are practitioners in. This is what we are experienced in. So we'd like for you to look at from this lens. Um, so definitely a way for people to have introspection and there is nowhere on there that says, these are the steps, these are the answers. This is how you're supposed to work it. This is how you're supposed to solve it. Um, even myself, a couple of weeks ago, you know, um, my own inherited biases, I was on a um, session for Yoga Alliance and it was about Ahimsa. And I intentionally went on because I wanted to see, you know, what did they have to say compared to what we had to say? Mm. And it was actually beautiful because they had some readings from Martin Luther King, um, some folks um, down in the voting in Alabama. But what I did was I saw a black woman and I saw a white woman wearing Indian garb. And I immediately got into, oh, look at her. She don't know Sanskrit well. She's just, you know, doing the fluff. 
And it wasn't until the end that they personally shared that they were part Indian, part British. Mm. And it was a complete slap in the face reminder of how we put these lenses on because of our own intricate biases, whether it's a black or white thing. Like I even found myself in it. And then once I got the information and was aware, it changed my whole perspective of that person. Right. Mm. So that's where the conversations actually do help. And the sharing of information helps. Like how Christine said, you know, maybe next time I'll put the context of this is from academic research and then it gives me a different spin, but that's the reality. When we're conversating, we're not necessarily thinking of citing all these things. We're speaking kind of more from heart. So when it just comes out that way, it doesn't always bounce off or resonate with everyone in the same way that we might be feeling it. Yeah, so mm. definitely a space for people to reflect on their own and we encourage people to take it at their pace versus just checking off the boxes to say they completed it for continuing education units. Mm. That's really interesting that you talk about having had that experience in the midst of a conversation about ahimsa, because I think I I think about um, two of my heroes, which we talk about them all the time. Ranju Roy and Dave Charlton have a book called Embodying the Yoga Sutra, and they've got these. In my mind, they've got these incredible definitions that are kind that are um, have this foundation in the teachings of Desikachar about the yamas and the niyamas and ahimsa for them is allowing the other person to be as they are. That's the, the way that they kind of define it. And I really love mm -hmm. that because it feels like, okay, that means we have to lead with this. You know, we had this idea in our minds about what, um, you know, about what compassion or non-harming or whatever means, but it does sort of mean coming to the, coming to the game and like kind of trying to strip away a lot of what you already believe about these people. Mm. <laughs> you know, you actually just now just hit me in my heart with family and oh. the family situation I was just yeah. talking about. Yeah. Right? You just actually just really hit me right there. Um, yeah. 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 Well, they no. see that as the, they talk about everything in terms of relationships mm -hmm. and that the challenge in every relationship is to let things be as they are and yet let yourself be involved and enmeshed. And if you get too enmeshed and too attached and too, then it, then it fails. But if you get too detached, it, it also fails. So it's fine and it's very yogic. It's finding that, that right relationship and that um, non-attached relationship, but yet that vulnerability and all that exposure and all of that openness. So, mm -hmm. and family, family certainly throws that up. <laughs> Maria, I'm gonna have to, um you know, transcribe you when you guys publish this podcast, those were, um, those words were dead on right there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's nice. I'm, I'm really parroting Ranju and Dave, but I'll share, I'll share. I mean, they, they, it was such an inspiring way to hear about the Yamas and Niyamas. I hadn't thought of them about relationships, mm -hmm. that the Yamas are about your relationship with, with the, I knew that, that it was about how you interact with the world, mm -hmm. but but when you really take it personally as a personal relationship, as a friendship or as a, a, as a parent or a partner, it, it, it brings it much, much closer mm. and much more into, into, into the challenge of practice. Mm. Yeah, they zero right in on that. And I think that yeah. really brings it home. Like you were saying, Keisha, it brings it right into your heart. Like if it's, here's my relationship with the world, but if it's, here's my relationship with myself or my husband or my children or my family, all of a sudden there's this immediate connection. Like immediately we can 
we can feel the impacts of our actions. We can feel the impacts of our choices. And it feels like much, much more so. Um, one thing that's coming to me is I, as we sort of talk about these different translations, did you, did you both come to this with your own understandings about what these things meant? Or were you touching on, you know, because I think I probably have about 10 different translations of the, of the Yoga Sutras. Were you touching on different bits and pieces from different people that, you know, the way that they've said these things that have, that have really connected with you? Definitely, um, definitely. This was a time to, you know, pull out all the different versions of the books and understand what people that. have already talked about, right? You know, to acknowledge them as well, which we have done in a lot of the quotes in the source materials within the course. Mm -hmm. One specifically that was new for me um, is a book called White Ally, um, where it specifically goes through the yamas and niyamas from mm -hmm. um, a space of racism. Mm -hmm. um, and forgive me, I don't have that author's name okay. in we'll my mind it. at the moment yeah, we'll, find we'll find it but what i um i personally really tapped into was experience and um as i prepared myself for you guys um i listened to your podcast with Pel kelly palmer um from august and kelly is one of the people that i say is one of my teachers of the yamas and niyamas mm -hmm. we both live here in charlotte north carolina and after she completed her teacher training i'm very close with the woman that she trained with and that teacher said to me, you have to take Kelly's class. The way she weaves in the yamas and niyamas into the physical practice is amazing. Mm -hmm. So Kelly wound up doing a series, a five-week series, yamas and niyamas, and she was using Deborah Adele's book. And she would prompt us with questions. We'd write it on a note card. And she either mailed the cards to us later, or we just wound up reusing them with each one. But I did the yamas series with Kelly. I did the niyamas series with Kelly. And it was really at a point in my life when I needed it, right? So I told Christine this, you know, I went back to the subtle yoga manual, which is like 200 pages of information. And I clearly have notes on yamas and niyamas, but I don't think I heard yamas and niyamas until probably four years later from Kelly. And it was at the time when I needed it in my life because family, again, trying to deal with family struggles, mental health issues, um, incarcerations, all of that. I needed something more than the power practices that I have, even the yin yoga practices, I needed something more. So really, again, that experience that I got from Kelly on how to interpret the yamas and niyamas is really the underlying driver for me. So we applied it to racism. Keep going, she'll jump back on. <laughs> and then even more recently, you know, I've had to apply it to COVID. I um, was managing a yoga studio, a director at a yoga studio, and the questions of, do we open or do we not open, right? Mm -hmm. It's a recommendation from the governor. It's not a requirement from the governor. Oh, if we come in with a medical excuse, we can, but do we ask them for their actual prescriptions? Do we wear masks? Do we not wear masks? Even now to last week, does the teacher have to tell us if someone else in their family has COVID and how does that impact the studio? And then do we let students know before or after they get the results, right? The harming, the speaking the truth, considering others. So yamas and niyamas popping up now for everything that I'm kind of thinking of after being in this space with Christine these past few months. Mm. Mm -hmm. Love that. Christine, did you, did you want to jump in? Did you have something you wanted to, to say about that as well? 
Um, so in terms of like the source material for the yamas and yamas, I think it's fascinating to look at lots of different books and see how people are interpreting things. And then also I'm really interested in the Sanskrit. So I go back to the, the roots of the words and, you know, I, I'm really interested in looking deeply at what these words mean sort of etymologically as well as how they're contextualized within the sutras. So I've, I've worked on, and particularly as someone who's worked in mental health for a long time, um, I look at yamas and niyamas as Patanjali's, um, you know, massive contribution, first of all, because he really is the one who brought the yamas and yamas to the forefront. You know, if you look at it historically, um, Buddhism was reactionary at the time against corruption. And, uh, you know, the, the typical corruption that comes and goes in waves with human societies. And, and then uh, the yamas and niyamas become this important framework. Now, I understand the yoga sutras are, you know, they, they have been more relevant in the past hundred years than they were previously in India. You know, I think that's an important piece to understand. It's not that, yes, Patanjali has been around for a long time, but not with a tremendous amount of, port of importance until the past hundred or 150 years or so. So I get that. I, I realize it's more of a modern reading of the text. And at the same time, you know, uh, if, if the yamas and yamas are foundational, which I believe they are, and that's what Georg Ferestein says as well, that the yamas and yamas are foundational for the practice, then I think the way that Patanjali understood them as a way is as a sort of uh, uh, the preparation for stilling the mind. You know, because when you're when stuff is good in your relationships, then you can still the mind and meditate. You know, yeah. if stuff's not good in your relationships, that's going to be percolating up during your your practices, you know, so, so I think that that's, I think that, yes, there's many different ways of, of looking at the sutras. I've looked at many different texts, but eventually they became very organic and sort of my own, um, translations based on, uh, my, my practice and then my operationalizing them in, in, uh, in my life, in my relationships. And, and so I don't, I did, I didn't pick like one translation. Uh, rather, you know, I, I sort of have many translations that I've synthesized into a, tr into a translation that works well for me in my teaching and the way I've been teaching it for many years. So, so that's kind of the way that I approached it is, um, yes, there are many different translations, but it has to sort of sync in terms of the way you understand practice. And then as a trainer, the way you're going to share that with your students, and that may be slightly different. For example, I I don't like the translation of Ahimsa as nonviolence, and um, that translation doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me, it doesn't sit with me. I understand it as non-harming in terms of the etymology of the term. So, you know, I can teach about Ahimsa as non-harming, and that fits in the system as I understand it and as I transmit that to other, to students, you know, to, to my trainees. Um, so that's just one example. And then brahmacharya is another big one. Um, I don't particularly like the translation of brahmacharya as celibacy. It's not etymologically correct. Um, I think there's some, uh, you know, there, there's, it, it can be understood that way in terms of a particular context of renunciates 
living in a, a, a renunciate, uh, you know, living in ashrams, living in renunciate kind of situations, it makes sense. It doesn't make sense to me in terms of the, uh, the grihasta, the family people, you know, and, and so how would celibacy make sense for somebody who wants to practice yoga, who's a family person after the Kaula revolution, uh, family, families, people could start practicing yoga. Um, and, and then if you're looking Patanjali for a source and you're going to say brahmacharya as celibacy, it doesn't make sense. And so a lot of modern translators have tried to sort of tone that down or water it down to sound like continence or, you know, not, not being promiscuous or things like that. But really, if you look at etymologically, the meaning of brahmacharya means walking with Brahma, it means walking mm -hmm. while you're Brahma's by your side, like seeing everything as a manifestation of Brahman, Brahman with the N, not the mm. uh. So, so, you know, I mean, I, I, I think that the, as I've encountered translations that have felt more applicable to me, more real, more um, sort of, um, you know, deep and authentic, that those are the translations that I tend to connect with. And those are the ones that I teach. Mm. Yeah, it's it's you brought up so many things in there. I know for myself and Maria for sure. I know I could talk for talk for you as well. And this is we've recognized that this process of integrating this information is a process. It's a process of 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 uh, looking at it, looking at yourself, having your experience, trying to look at that through the through the window or through the the lens of this this information and these teachings. And then, you know, it's the cycle going back and back and, you know, back and around and back and around. And I don't remember that ever, well, maybe it was <laughs> just, maybe I just wasn't all that clear or present to it. I don't remember it ever really being um, explained to me in that way. I think over living and practicing, I've come to that understanding. And I think I think, I think there's definitely some value, particularly given where we are at the moment and people understanding that we're not going to get it all in, you know, in one shot, there's this, um, there's a process. There's this, there's this value of my teachers say, live in the questions, not expecting that we're going to, you know, have our questions answered right now. It's about living living it and something that has come or that you know, just in hearing your experiences i wonder what has this what's the, has this experience like this iteration of going through this information what has it taught you each of you about yourselves <laughs> um <laughs> uh i don't know if the word taught me but what it's revealed to me is mm. that um what it's revealed to me is that I am um, an activist um, as a yogi, as a yoga teacher, um, where I've been with several organizations, um, specifically one called Amplify and Activate. They're a local nonprofit out of Charlotte. And about four years ago, um, the leader Jasmine Hines specifically wanted to address yoga and racism. Um, and I've been a part of that charge for about four years, but it was always, uh, that's that work I do. It wasn't everything. It was like, 
oh no, I'll post on that page, not my page. Mm-hmm. And even my social media person said, what do you want to do about your social justice work? And I'm like, oh, that's not what I do. I do that with Amplify. It's over there. <laughs> and now last week I met with her and I'm like, look, I think we need to put a social justice page on here, put the subtle yoga cost, co- course, all of the podcast. I've done things with State of the Union. Um, it just feels like for me organically, once Christine opened the door, or I guess maybe once George Floyd opened the door, or maybe even Brianna Taylor opened the door because her birthday is the same day as mine, June 5th. And I believe Christine contacted me a couple of days before that in June. Um, but since Christine opened up the door, everyone has been coming to me to teach something around um, Nana yoga, around the sutras, around social justice, when I didn't think that was my lane. I didn't think that was Keisha, um, or I didn't want to project that as Keisha. So this month or last month, like I said, I found myself taking this race in America course with Sean Corn and Nikki Myers. And I've seen that for several years. And I'm like, I don't need to hear that. That's their problem. They need to deal with that. Even when it was in person, I was like, I'm never going to Alabama. I don't want to go to Alabama. But I just kept getting pulled and pulled and pulled. And then something said, sign up for that scholarship. They were offering scholarships for BIPOC. And I said, sign up for it. And I signed up for it, got it. And I was immersed in it. And it really just gave me another perspective of American history, Black history. Um, So that's really what's come out of this for me this whole time. I think if um, Christine hadn't grabbed me in that moment, um, it could have still been that safe, quiet lane, letting other people voice. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. And it's weaved into all of my offerings versus it just being the highlight of an offering. Um, mm. So yeah, I'm grateful for that. Mm. Talk about yoga. Talk about mm-hmm. union, <laughs> you know, bringing all of those disparate parts of you together, you know? Definitely. Beautiful. Beautiful. That I mean, I know, Shara, in, in listening and having conversations with you, you've also been sought for your opinion and, 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 uh, almost in a way to represent or to be a spokesperson and that wasn't always comfortable for you Mm -hmm. so I I wonder you could reflect on that maybe Keisha could reflect on just rising to that occasion it's like hang on a second is it me doing this (laughs) and what I'd like to add Maria is the people that actually wound up calling me um Christine is the only um white person that's called me Mm -hmm. everyone else has been a person of color which then Mm -hmm. I think made me feel even more comfortable, confident, um, secure in the knowledge and the experience that I've had for over 20 years. You know, yeah. I've been practicing yoga for over 20 years, not just being a yoga teacher these past 10 years. So to see my people looking at me as a subject matter expert, that was like, wow, this is powerful. I need to use my voice, um, which is actually something that Maya has always pushed for me, my teacher, Maya Breuer. Um, she's always pushed, but it just got really louder in voice during this time. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. That's so beautiful. It just, yeah. I, it, it, what comes to me hearing you say that, Keisha, is that that's where you belong. Like that's where you were headed all the time. You know, we, we never know what's going to, what's going to take us there or what's going to get us there. I think that is part of that Ishvara Pranidhana, isn't it? Yes, Chara, definitely like it. And I say these stories all the time. It to me really was a magical adventure. 
I chose Christine's program after doing research, like I was going to grad school, I chose a program and it was Christine's program. And then to do this paper and then to connect with Maya and meet Maya and then to connect with the Black Yoga Teacher Alliance and then to keep connecting, keep connecting, keep connecting. And then to circle right back to where I started with Christine and to even circle back to where I started with my master's degree in Asian studies. So a part of the course, Christine asked me what I wanted to offer more from a physical practice. And I told her, I wanna offer yin yoga. It's a way mm -hmm. for us to sit, reflect and really be with it. And that kind of just takes me back to my um, East Asian background um, in academics as well. So I sit there and talk and say, oh, Christine's the academic. But then when I really link, think about it, that's where I started. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't start on a mat. I started in grad school studying Buddhism, Zen, Taoism. I read the Bhagavad Gita and I don't remember the teacher saying anything about yoga. I don't know if it was, I just needed to read it and finish and write a paper, but I don't remember anything about yoga. But what it was in grad school is I walked out of class one day and on the bulletin board, there was a sign that said yoga, take yoga. And then I decided to do the physical practice. Um, yeah. Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah, we can connect the dots back, right? <laughs> we just can't connect them forward. And, That's right. Yeah, and Christine, what about you? You know, what was your... Um, Revelation. Yeah, what did this whole thing reveal to you about yourself? Well, um, I think I said before, just, you know, really going deep and having these kind of difficult conversations about race. Um, it, it revealed to me some of the unconscious biases or intrinsic stuff and things from my past that I didn't think about at all. You know, just assumptions I made about black people or people of color, just all sorts of cultural junk that sort of ends up in your brain. You don't even examine it, you know, and I, I feel like that's part of what has happened with this process, but certainly that I think has been a, it's been an eye opener for many white people, uh, white people who have some empathy and compassion, I should say, um, in, in the United States, um, to, to, to just watching what was happening with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, you can't help but think, I think, I mean, you can't help but consider what what have you done in your life you know what have you done in your life to make a difference what have have you taken it have you just been surfing on your white privilege or have you actually thought deeply about these things and that's what it kind of that's what kind of uh, it awoke for me or it raised in me and i will say the other thing that happened so keisha was talking about her idea that now she's um you know, really sees activism as woven into the work she's done. I've always kind of thought myself as somewhat of, you know, having those activist, um, what's the word? Like, like I have activist tendencies. Tendencies. Have, you know, I was, I was like going to the first, um, the first Iraq war um, protests in San Francisco and I was a young person, you know, that, that it's always been kind of, part of who I am as I started to teach yoga, I realized the way that I could really make a contribution was by helping people learn to self-regulate their nervous systems, you know? Mm. And that was really, that's where I realized I really, I really can do something there, you know? Um, 
And, and so I found the activism kind of, I needed to sort of let go of that a little bit and focus on just helping people to self-regulate because I do believe that as people are, learn how to self-regulate, get in touch with themselves and be more embodied, that, and it's not even just a belief, there's research about this. It makes you more empathic, you know, mm. it makes you more understanding to other people. So there's research on that. So it's sort of my backdoor activism. But the thing I wanted to make sure I said is that you know, I do have a large social media following that I've cultivated over the past two and a half years. And I'm very grateful to have so many people that are, you know, inspired by subtle yoga and my work. And the thing I was pretty sure was going to happen and did happen was I got pushback from some of my followers and unfollowed and, you know, taken off my email list and all things because they said, I had become political and I was polluting their safe space of yoga. And that was a really hard one for me to realize because I do see yoga as this safe space, mm. but we also don't do yoga as aliens who've parachuted in from nowhere. We do yoga within a social context and we can't deny that social context, I think. And all the problems that um, have existed that have been exposed um, in the yoga world, in terms of racism, like we have to look at that stuff. So we have to look at what's going on in studios. We have to be willing to change the way we think and change the way we do things. And so, yes, I do find yoga to be a very important refuge. And at the same time, um, it, I don't think we should be using it to spiritual bypass these very important cultural issues that need to, that desperately need to be addressed. Um, and, and if we don't, uh, you know, if we, if we just want to sort of sit in our, you know, sit back and, you know, I'm talking about white people here, obviously <laughs> people wanting to just sit back and do their yoga and not, you know, in their Lulu's and not look at the reality of what's going on, I think is a, it's a big spiritual bypass and it's, it's just not helpful. It's not helpful for you and it's not helpful for the culture. So, um, so I had to come to a place of being like, okay, people are going to unfollow me and, and get, and, uh, unsubscribe from my list. Sayonara, you know, I mean, like, <laughs> what else can I say? But like, find your own way, but this is, I'm not going to not speak my truth and not, um, I'm not going to, uh, downplay or, or candy coat anything because it's just not not who I am as somebody who's practiced for many years. I have to be authentic, you know. Yeah. Wanted I wanted to, um, oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Keisha. Sorry, I no, wanted no. to add to that um, some thoughts that you brought up for me, Christine. Um, as you said, this is for white women, you know, and your privilege. I think the same thing for BIPOC and black people or just us as yogis and where we are Right now we're privileged, right? Because we've read multiple copies of the sutras or we've had these great teachers that have shared the teachings with us. And what I experience in my communities is what we're seeing is what 
your advertising, right? So we're seeing move the body, wear the clothes. So we're just following that charge. And if Keisha doesn't stand up and say, look, here's another perspective. Here's another way of doing the practices. We never know. So we continue to fall into the cycles of this commercialization or just being in the good fields of yoga because we don't know that there is more work that can be done. Um, so I definitely think that I'm privileged because I've been able to take two 200 hour trainings, three 300 hour trainings, travel to retreats and all these things that, you know, brought this practice to me where a lot of people are coming into it and they're actually taking up offers of free teacher trainings, discounted teacher trainings, and they're just being given a package and then being told to kind of decipher that package on their own. So I think we have a privilege that we need to share with people this information, even if it's not the common practices that most people think of. I constantly think about, you know, like the Kundalini practice. How many Kundalini practice practitioners are there across the world, right? But we rarely see them in the images of, you know, magazines or even in social media. And everybody has this one image of what the physical yogi looks like, but you have a population of millions of people practicing Kundalini yoga or people that haven't even heard of Yoga Alliance, right? There's so much more yoga going on out there um, that can be shared. Um, it's just sharing those viewpoints, showing, sharing those tools and letting people know they're available. Mm. Oh, I so agree with that. I really do agree with that. Keisha, I was sort of thinking some of this kind of a, along similar lines when Christine was talking about, um, you know, about speaking to white people. I think there is something in this for every person to know, to learn about themselves, about the way that they experience or are experiencing yoga about their own privilege. I can tell you, I have learned a lot in, in this last year, you know, since I've started practicing yoga, since I've started engaging in conversations with people like yourselves, it comes, for me, the yoga in it has been a willingness to listen, has been a willingness to, to, um, to maybe detach from my own view of the world and begin to open up to hearing what other people, what their experiences are. And that has cultivated a, a, a sense of compassion. And it's interesting because you talk about yoga as a refuge. And I think the first thing I thought was, it's not a refuge. This has been the most uncomfortable, like I have had some of the most uncomfortable moments in my life in, in practice of yoga, whether it's a physical practice or whether, but then I think, wait a minute. And I love this about yoga. I love this about the language. I think that compassion that I just talked about that comes from that, you know, all of these practices, all of these principles, that is a definitely a refuge. That ability to soften in the face of, all of the tension that's out there, all the polarization that's out there. You know, even I've been having conversations with people about um, the process of engaging with people who believe something completely different to me. And I can feel my body shutting down the minute the conver the minute people start talking about certain things, I can feel myself go, oh. And this yoga has been about being able to say yes, just being able to say yes to all of that. And yeah, yeah you know? Yeah, I, I feel yeah. like that, that's been our year has been processing this stuff together and, and having the tools, like Christine was saying, 
knowing how to self-regulate so you can lean into the discomfort and go, ooh, you know, feel that like contraction or fear or um, we've had some really, really strong questions and open things up, but it's creating the safety, I guess, of conversations and the safety of the yoga place, but it's also, it's also having those tools to self-regulate so you can lean into it and not just run away and hide. And uh, I think it just creates this, that wonderful cyclicality of learning and of, of saying yes, I'm mm -hmm. saying, I'm in, I'm gonna do this. Keisha, were you gonna say something? Yeah. Just the, the feeling you were giving me, Char, was how I felt like with Christine in the course. Yes, I'm in. It was like, oh, yes, I'm in it. We're going to do this. So I just had that charge of feeling when you said that. Yes. Oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. It's great to recognize that feeling, too, because you can you want to be able to generate it in some situations, you know. But if you've had it and you've been with present with it, you go, OK, I know what it feels like to say yes. I can maybe I can create this in a really challenging situation like what Maria was saying. Mm -hmm. I think that's so relevant when we're talking about racism, because what is racism but people, traumatized people who've shut themselves down and scapegoated others, mm -hmm. you know, so as you start these practices and you start to open up to be compassionate to yourself, to have empathy for yourself, then you can extend that to others, you know, I think so much... When I look at the politicians uh, in the United States who really cling to these antiquated, anachronistic ideas about race, I look at their bodies and I look at how they have no connection, you know, mm -hmm. and no capacity for it. So we can talk about sociopaths or you can talk about, you know, whatever people, but, but it goes back to their childhood. You know, mm -hmm. It really does go deeply back to a, an inability and never learning, you know, never learning, never being shown or modeled the kind of compassion and empathy. Now, okay, sure, there's probably people that are just born completely stone cold, you know, <laughs> shut down. But I, but I do think that most people have some kind of spark of empathy in them. And if we can get kids when they're younger and really um, help them to feel like they are loved, uh, you know, and that they are securely attached, that, that we, that, that's the place where we can start to shift uh, the narrative and the, and not, not just the narrative, the feelings, the feeling state of feeling defensive and traumatized and then projecting and blaming that on a whole race you know i mean i think that sort of lies at the crux and this is the the gem or the beauty or the the real the real deep teachings the real deep um you know fruits of the of the teachings is is right there you know mm. is the practice that opens people and changes minds mm. Mm. <laughs> nice um, yeah beautiful <laughs> what's coming to me, and there's a question on the end of all this, but what's coming to me is, um, if we're, if for most people, I'm trying to figure out how to like, how do I talk, how do I say this? For most people, we, we looked, in order for us to be able to receive something, 
we look to having it spoken in a certain way or come from a certain from a person who looks a certain way and that kind of that defines how easy we're going to be able to digest it or how easy we are going to be able to let it in and one of the things i really really love about the fact that the two of you have come together to do this is that i feel that there's some beauty in the fact that you've got you know, you've got Keisha BIPOC, your whole experience. I can hear you from a place in me that really relates to that, some of that experience. I don't know you, but there's, I feel like there's something about you that I do know because there's some, there's some commonality, Yogi, et cetera, et cetera. And then you have, and then you have Christine and you're bringing your, your whole piece, you know, your viewpoints, et cetera, to the plate. And again, as Yogi, there's always levels that we can connect with each other on. And I feel like, being coming together to present something like this opens this up to a lot of people who may not necessarily have, um, I don't know, may not necessarily have been willing to hear it. And I wonder from y'all, what is your goal in this? What do you, if you have one at all, in terms of what you want your audiences to take away? Or how you want them to feel? I don't know. For me, the goal would be just to have the understanding and awareness, the understanding awareness that this can apply to racism, mm -hmm. just like it can apply to anything else. Um, so really just that acknowledgement and awareness. I think I'd mentioned it to Christine at one point. It's like, if I'm saying that I am a Raja Yogi or following the path of Patanjali's yoga, I have to acknowledge that these principles, the yamas and niyamas are a part of the system, right? And I have to have that awareness and acknowledgement of it. And then at some point it's kind of a choice to say, all right, I wanna participate in this or I don't wanna participate in it, but I'm at least aware of what it actually consists of. So for me, it's just educating people so that they have the awareness and they could easily say, I'm not a Patanjali yogi, right? They could be a karma yogi and feel that this doesn't apply, but just having that understanding and knowledge and awareness, um, that would be the primary thing, just kind of that education. And I think initially the thought was for those that have gone through a traditional 200 hour training program where they may not have digested the yamas and niyamas the first time around like me, yeah. or maybe they didn't get it at all because it was more asana based or more meditation based. So exposing it to that community. But I think what we found is we still had a lot of yoga teachers that have had these learnings and experiences still participate in the course because they haven't heard it from this lens in these type of conversations and seeing it in any type of writing. So this opened up them to just kind of contemplate on their own. We had a couple of people reach out to us and say they wanted us to actually present in their 200 hour teacher trainings, mm -hmm. or they were going to incorporate it and, you know, purchase it for their students to participate in as well. Mm -hmm. So that would be the primary, just, you know, the level of awareness, you know, kind of opening up some eyes to some more information. And then another one of those, oh, yes, I'm in was because Christine said, I'm donating my proceeds towards a BIPOC organization. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then I actually loved how, I know some people might take the term wrong. She gave me the permission where she said, please don't feel like you have to donate your proceeds as well, Keisha. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I, I took that as, you know, honoring my time and my experience, but where I'm going with the second 
goal of this. Um, Christine donated her proportions to the Black Yoga Teacher Alliance Conference. Mm -hmm. And then what it caused me to do was to take the proceeds, but donate them to I Am Yoga Scholarship Foundation so that um, we can provide programming and training for folks. And that's actually been something that I have been doing, constantly making the trainings accessible, um, giving karma scholarships and really kind of coming out of my own pocket to continue to teach and to share and to serve these tools um, with people. So one, the knowledge, and then two, um, raising money so that we can, you know, provide people with quality programming, whether it's with us or with other, um, you know, teachers and yogis along the path. Mm. Beautiful. I, I would just add to that. Thank you, Keisha, because I think that was really clear about what the goals were for both of us. But I would add that, you know, when I approached Keisha, I was like, okay, I'm an open book. What are we going to do? You know, And we started working together to figure out what the course would look like. And what we kept coming back to is this idea of like questions, the, the vichara, if you like, from uh, Yoga Sutras, you know, just asking a lot of questions and not feeling like we have to know the answers, but being willing to ask the questions. That's where some of the discomfort is and is in asking the questions like, I mean, you know, we don't want to talk about race in, in America. We don't, we don't like, it's like uncomfortable, you know, we don't want to talk about uncomfortable things. And so when we embarked on this and started asking the questions around each of each other about our own personal experience and, um, and then relating that back to the Amazon Amazon, I hope that what the course gives people is just a lot of stuff to think about and reflect on. I don't think we're really necessary. And, and we also had, we also uh, developed a pretty extensive journal so that folks could start writing stuff down and and thinking deeply about these questions for themselves because we don't we we don't purport to be the experts where you know we what we hope that we can do is share some uh, some questions that prompts the thinking process because it's a thinking process that then can start to uncover and unveil the uh you know the the intrinsic biases that people have and also you know re regardless of of uh of their own you know regardless of whether you're white or a bipoc person uh just thinking about this stuff and how it applies to race i think that's what we hoped we could give people an opportunity to do just reflect on it a little more deeply and how do you want to show up in the world how do you want to be and um, is there a possibility for shifting and changing anything within you? Do you want to do that? Do you want to evaluate the yamas and yamas? You know, do you want to do that swadhyaya? So, yeah, that's the word Keisha and I kept coming back to a lot was swadhyaya. You know, there's so much swadhyaya to do here. Now, which means for those of you who are listening, that means, you know, that self-reflection, looking at yourself. I like that because it's left everything open-ended because as we've said sort of over and over and during our conversation, it's a process. So this in and out, I took a quick course on, you know, and, and I'm done now, tick, is, you know, I, we, we interviewed Michelle Cassandra Johnson or had a conversation with her and she's like, any quick solutions to this stuff is, is you're not doing it. You just know if that was comfortable and easy, you got it wrong. So if it's messy, and difficult, then you're probably in the right place. And I think 
what it sounds like you've provided is a structure for this kind of reflecting because aimlessly reflecting might not be constructive either, but to give it this framework and then to give it the processes contains it and directs it, but it doesn't limit it or, or constrict it in any way. Maria, I would add to that, like you said, the one and done, even for Christine and I, right? We put this out at the end of August and Christine um, has a, you know, a catalog of other e-courses and stuff that she puts out. And, you know, there's a business side to things of how long you market things. And we could have easily just said, all right, done, check, put it on the shelves. But then a couple of weeks later, Christine said, let's reach more people. Let's sponsor an ad to reach more people. And I was like more people. Okay. And then it was like, okay, I have some friends that have a podcast. Let's talk about it. And then for me, it's still like that self-inquiry too. Like, do I want to put myself out there to more and more people? Um, but kind of like how I said, the summer has been for me being a part of all these additional things. The more I talk about it, the more I'm comfortable with it, the more I'm able to hear from other people, learn from other people, and then revisit it again, right, Char? Revisit mm -hmm. again. All right, well, I say something differently. What are we gonna do for the next e-course? All of that, it just starts to come back in. Um, so thank you for bringing up that, you know, mm -hmm. checking it off the list, even for us as teachers, it's out there now. It's out there. We have this Facebook group where we're supporting that community, um, trying to spread the word through podcasts. So thank you guys definitely for having us. Um, yeah, a lot of Svadhyaya. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh gosh. I mean, I so we could start to kind of wrap things up a little because I know you all have things to do and whatever. But I do just want to say um, specifically to you, Keisha. Sometimes I don't know if we know what we're offering to the world when we show up and do these things. And I just have to say specifically for me, for my, you know, as a as a person of color, when I see somebody like you stand up and do a course like this and present this kind of information. I think even as a yoga teacher, I think, okay, that's for me. That's for me too. Mm -hmm. And I know there's plenty of other people out there that are, you know, that may not have thought so much so deeply about this stuff or even a perspective on this stuff. And they see you up there and they see the two of you working together and they think, okay, that's for me then. That's, I can do this. I can read into this. I can learn from this. There's an experience there that I can hook into. And so I really just... I don't know if you, if, I don't know if you had any reservations at all about this. It doesn't sound like you did, but. Oh, no, I, I did. So thank you for saying that. I did wow. like, really, it was for me, it was reservations from the black community. Yeah. Am I misspeaking? Am I misquoting? Am I saying anything incorrectly nowadays? Yeah. Pronouns, people's names, the Sanskrit, it was all a, oh my goodness, people are going to be saying all right, what is she talking about? This makes no sense. Um, and I'll share with you, the only direct comment that I received was on the day that we launched the course. And it was a video, not a video, a voice message through Instagram. It was a white woman in Australia. Mm -hmm. And she said, hi, don't want to offend. I love what you and Christine are doing, but why did you do it with a white woman? Why didn't you do it yourself? And that was the, that was the only thing I got. And even that was like a, oh, wait, oh my goodness, should I have done it by myself? Is it wrong that I did it? So it had me into that self-study perspective, 
But then I kept going back to what she shared with me because I, I love that she did a voice versus a text. And she said, I don't want to disrespect, right? She let that be known to me, you know, her intention. So I had to take it from that space of just kind of understanding and, and reflecting. Um, but that was a, oh, wow, someone all the way in Australia is listening to what I'm saying or seeing what I'm saying and they're questioning my choices. How do I process that? And then I was prepared for so much more to start knocking on the door, but it didn't. Um, the biggest okay in my heart was when we got John along from the Black Yoga Teacher Alliance, Com Black Yoga Teacher Alliance to kind of okay the program mm -hmm. to put Bita's logo on there. And Christine reached out to me and she's like, yeah, we got to get approval from John. And I'm like, you do that. <laughs> like, like my name wasn't attached to it. Like you do that. Like I'm not attached to it. And she replied back and the feedback was, this is the work that needs to be done. Thank you. And then that was my, huh. Okay. Jonna stamped it. I'm good. Right. And then Maya stamped it. I'm good. Um, and then thank you, Cha. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. Oh, no, I love that. I, I mean, I'm seeing in the space, you know, I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of things being done for people of color specifically by mm -hmm. people of color for people of color specifically. And I'm loving all of that. I think that's, I've, I've, I've never felt more included in my life. I love all of that, but I do also believe that there's this, this space of, of understanding how to connect with each other, how to, you know, this is what we're doing, how to have this conversation. And I do think that these conversations between people are what's going to heal us. We have to be willing. We have to, we have to do our swadhyaya. We have to understand ourselves and, you know, our influences and our pain, but we do have to be in conversation. And I think if we're not, then we will not heal. And so I just really, really love that you both are doing this. And yeah, I love that you, that you, you had the courage, Christine, to, to, to decide this was needed to be done and to reach out to Keisha and yeah. And, and I'm just happy for all the people that are going to benefit from this as well. Mm. Thank you. And people have benefited already. Yeah. Um, within the first month, we raised over $6,000, which was divided between the two um, organizations. I started a, um, I've shifted the language. It's not a teacher training group. It is a yoga studies program. We've awarded three scholarships to that program. So um, yeah, it's really already making a, a difference. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, thanks for the work you're doing. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Thank you both. So yeah. quick question. Have uh -huh. either of you taken the course? No, we haven't not taken yet. it. <laughs> yeah, not yet. But I want I'm to always now. just looking for feedback. Like I'm no. always looking for someone to give the feedback. Um, Because everyone in the groups, you know, it's been some questions, some comments, you know, great job, Christine, Keisha, we love it. They'll like some of the stuff we put on, but haven't had really many um, in those settings, people really questioning or pushing back or asking, why did you think this? Or so I'm always just pulling from people to see, you know, if they have some feedback for us. Yeah, All no, right. I, I'd love to take the course because it's yeah. you've, I, I was interested in anyway, but just busy in, in your, in my own vortex, but then, <laughs> um, based on this conversation, I love the way it's evolved. And I love, I, I do like the, the idea of that container and, and I, the idea of the conversation. I think the danger in some of these things is that, um, that a BIPOC person is asked to teach white people about racism. And I, I think that goes wrong. Or 
any of this sort of teaching each other as opposed to really coming into a conversation as a mutual learning. There's a, there's a special quality to that that I like a lot about what I've heard this morning. Yeah, I think that's it's really important. And I, I wanted to say one other thing, which is that um, the pushback we've got, well, the pushback I've got, it has been around folks saying, you know, you're getting political. I didn't, I don't read your, I've had people say, I don't read your blog because of your politics. I read it because of your yoga. You know, I've had people say things like that to me. And my response has always been, we're not talking about politics. This is not about politics. This is about ethics. And it's quite different. There's nothing, there's nothing about politics in the course. It's about ethics. And if people are looking at ethics and then saying it's political, then I would suggest you look at your politics. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like look at your politics if you can't handle talking about ethics. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's, I'll leave that there. But I think mm. it's an important point. You know, we, we didn't, we, Keisha and I were very careful not to talk about politics. We wanted to talk about the ethics of yoga. And so if the ethics of yoga are showing up um, in, you know, if you can use them, if you can apply them to different situations and that shifts how you sort of look at the world, then that's, that's fantastic. Um, I'm, but I have no interest in shifting anyone's political opinion. That's not my role. Mm. Yeah, it, I feel like we're at this moment where yoga is at this, I, and I hate, I, I hate saying this because I'm not a scholar, but what I see is the same kind of experience that you're talking about, Christine, this kind of push and pull where people are wanting to stay very much in their physical practice, their belief of yoga as being this, you know, this physical practice that helps my body feel good and maybe helps me calm down. And they're being pulled into an understanding that yoga is so much more than that. And it's the circumstances around it that's pulling people into this understanding of what yoga actually is. And I love that. I know there's going to be, there's definitely going to be, there's going to be some people who are in, you know, who are going to be they're in, I don't want to say in pain, but there's definitely going to be some discomfort. And to me, that's always a good sign. It really yeah. is. <laughs> what, it is. What I think of, what I think of Cha is there are going to be people as I've experienced in the past, not just with what's going on in 2020, but yoga teachers where it gets to a certain point and they're like, I'm done with this. Right. They, I'm done with it. Like they unsubscribe from Christine's list. They unsubscribe from yoga. I had one teacher at one point completely drop off all of her yoga books to me, completely stepped out of yoga. Right. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Wowie. Well, I'm not, here, I'm not here for that work. Right. Yeah. I, I could go hike a mountain and feel the same joy. So I'm not here for that. Right. <laughs> yeah. But we all need to watch in ourselves those moments of overwhelm and withdrawal. I think sometimes, you know, you get this 56th email that you've signed up for and I think, oh, I can't take this. Like I can't process this. And, and I can feel that withdrawal and I think, no, 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 stay engaged or choose what you're engaging with. Don't go into a stage of overwhelm. Find a container and a process and a framework for you to engage with it. Cause just subscribing to all these things and all that input can be overwhelming. And I, so I see, I understand how people shut down mm -hmm. and the world is overwhelming, but it's, I think, I think letting go of your yoga is a big mistake <laughs> because it, it's like the master key that opens up the process 
and, and maps, maps the process and, and gives you an orientation when you get really lost to kind of come back to. So yeah. Keep with the yoga subscriptions. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that's, and that literally, and that is why we are here. That is why Maria and I are doing this podcast to, yeah. to highlight how people are living it, yeah. uh, you know, mainly off the mat, how they're living it in their minds and their bodies, their families, you know, et cetera. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you both for this, for sharing this experience and this path. Very excited about where this is going to lead not attached to it, but I'm, we're definitely going to be watching <laughs> yeah. and supporting you in any way we can. And we'd love to have you back. We would, would at some point, yeah, yeah. To, to talk about your experience of all of this, because I know it's pretty new still. I'm so happy you guys are doing a podcast together. Me too. We're loving it. Absolutely loving it. Yeah, it's been. We, it started, we were just having these great conversations. It's yeah. like, I wonder if anyone else would want to hear this, but the, yeah. the standard has been if it feels stiff and broadcasty, it's like, forget it. But if it's like, ooh, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. got that like, let's get in there. <laughs> then then it, we know we're onto something, so. Yeah, so. Mm -hmm. and people have really been willing to talk about their yoga in their lives. You know, I think often in podcasts and or, you know, interviews and stuff, folks kind of have their line that they take and it's really about teaching. And we, Maria yeah. and I kind of both decided when we did this, we're like, we don't want to teach anything on these on these discussions. We want to learn. We want to find yeah. out. We want to hear what people have to say. We want to hear what they're living, where they're struggling, all the rest of it. And I think the response has been has been so good. It's been really affirming of the need for this kind of conversation. And I feel like this is a little bit of what this is the kind of conversation y'all are having too. So yeah, thanks. Yeah, thank you. What a wonderful conversation. You know, I love that they're both so open-hearted and so willing to dive into some of the deeper sides of their own views and practices. And I know that this course that they put together is going to change lives. And so we've added the details of their course into the show notes. Definitely check those out. And you know, you know, one thing that stuck with me, though, was Keisha saying that Christine was the motivation she needed to make the choice to add her voice to the chorus of voices out there. I feel like we can all be a bit like that, can't we? Sometimes it feels like stepping out of our comfort zones is one of the hardest things to do. But you know what they say, a comfort zone is a beautiful place, but nothing ever grows there. I believe this. I've lived it. And so I want to invite you to consider how you can keep moving away from what you know. What is it that keeps you from doing just that? And and how and in what areas of your life has an attachment to your comfort zone kept you from growing? I think I, I think I'd need a whole other outro to answer this question for myself, but I do believe that questions like this are a part of the work of living like you love yourself. And speaking of living like you love yourself, you know, I used to do a lot of writing about the wisdom that I live and teach. And that kind of motivated the, this podcast in the first place. And my plan is definitely to do more writing in 2021. But I thought it'd be fun to share some thoughts and some inquiries with you here in hopes that they might actually be useful to you and living like you love yourself. And so this week is all about the holiday season. And I'm not sure about you, but the holiday parties have started and the all of the, you know, the, the goodies are coming out and in the absence of a mindful approach, I feel like it could be one of those situations where you get so busy and so caught up 
that you find yourself on the 1st or the 2nd of January wondering what happened. And so some years ago, I actually started looking at this whole thing a little bit differently. I started thinking about that phenomenon, that very same phenomenon, because I was very much living it. One thing to the next, to the next. And I also started thinking about, at that time, about how much I was missing out, how much I was missing out on by trying to miss out on, by trying not to miss out on anything. (laughs) And what I came to as a strategy for the holiday season was that the best way through this time of the year is to do a little give and take. And so as we we all know, the holiday season is chock full of opportunities to eat and drink and be merry. And we all want to do it all. But before you do, why not take a moment to consider how you're going to feel afterward? Life can be a little bit like a all-you-can-eat 24-7 buffet, especially this time of year. And like that buffet, that all-you-can-eat buffet, the healthiest way to get out alive and feeling like yourself is to take just enough of what you really enjoy and leave some things to try another time. And so when it comes to events and invitations to celebrate the season, be intentional with your yeses and liberal with your noes. Gift yourself with the time and the space to truly digest only the people and the experiences that feed your soul. And so we've got a fun and fabulous conversation that we may just be able to sneak in before the end of the year with Ron Bowen and Joe Stewart from the Flow Artist Podcast. They are the funnest people and we really enjoy that conversation. And so definitely stay tuned for that one. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you want to be notified when our new episodes drop. And and if you're enjoying these chats like we do, a perfect holiday gift for Maria and I would be a five-star rating and a review. (laughs) So thanks so much to you for listening. Until next time, take care of yourself.